tried to run away from me. So I hit him with my shoe again! How far are you gone? L.A. Not many people stop for a guy these days. Afraid of a stick-up, maybe. This buggy belongs to a guy named Haskell. That's not you, mister. Now, wait a Shut minute. Up. You're a cheap crook and you killed him. Never mind that stuff. Take a car. Ah? Uh, my duplicate car. You can keep it. I've got 51 left. <laughs> The Cult-Worthy Classic, a cinema podcast dedicated to obscure films and cult cinema made before 1970. Your host Antonio Palacios and a weekly guest will deep dive into these films to prove if they are in fact cult-worthy. And so without further ado, let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Antonio and this is episode 19 of the Cult Worthy Classic. Today is a fun episode as I've got my friend Raphael from the Geeky Dad podcast joining me to talk about the Batman movie from 1966. This camp classic starring Burt Ward and Adam West as a dynamic duo is just a lot of fun and we had a lot of fun talking about it. So without further ado, let's jump into the show. And welcome to the show. I've got a very special guest today, my friend Raphael of the Geeky Dad Podcast and the Geeky Dad After Dark Podcast. Two great podcasts, one with kids, one sans kids, and just a great, great guy. You should definitely check out his podcast if you enjoy mine and other podcasts about films and comics and movies. But, you know, I'm going to let him talk about his podcast himself. Raphael, welcome to the show. Thank you. I am uh, honored to be on this show. You know, uh, this, the, the first show that I do is with my kids. Uh, they're, the co-hosts are called the Multiverse Kids. Uh, one is seven and one is ten. And basically, they think they are the hosts of the show. And I'm just a guest <laughs> most of the time. And, um, you know, every week we tackle a different geeky item. Sometimes it's a book. Sometimes it's a TV show. Sometimes it's a movie. And sometimes we have guests on the show, sometimes, you know, other geeky dads. And the other show that I do after dark is some of the uncensored interviews <laughs> I have when I have guests on. And, uh, you know, uh, sometimes we cover the geeky things that we can't really cover with the kids, you know, uh, the R-rated stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I, I sometimes have my wife on who is a non-geek. And I think uh, the back and forth helps us because, you know, I'm trying to introduce her to different things and it gives a different dynamic. They're both really entertaining shows. And like our friends and other podcasts, you know, we are both dads and mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's yeah. a lot, I think, once you become a dad, when you're showing your children these movies, like I show my kid older movies and obscure movies that not a lot of other kids have the opportunity to see films like Jason and the Argonauts or clash of the Titans. Mm. He loves all those mythological films from the early sixties, seventies, eighties, but he also likes old school animation too. Like Charlotte's web is one of his favorite movies. He likes the studio Ghibli movies. You know, he, he isn't really up to date on the superhero stuff. I think he thinks it's boring and that's why I kind of live vicariously through you and your show because your kids <laughs> are immersed in modern day geek culture and multimedia. And I love hearing them talk about it because there's something so just sweet and innocent 
but also kind of mischievous when you hear a 10-year-old talking about the Batman or the Batman Returns or some other film that's in the MCU, and they're using 10-year-old words, but they're putting out ideas and thoughts that are well beyond their years. Yeah, uh, I, I got to expand their knowledge a little bit. You know, they're too stuck with the superhero stuff. I got to get them into some Star Trek. I haven't tackled Star Trek with them yet, you know. Um, I, mean, I don't know. You got to give me some some ideas. What do you think? I, I think uh, Star Trek is fun. You know, sometimes the the older older shows might seem a little bit too cheesy with the sets and the costumes. Right. Yeah. I actually think that uh, Star Trek Voyager was a fun show. You know, I, I, mm. I enjoyed it and it was realistic enough to, I think, break that barrier of that eighties and nineties cheese that the next generation and deep space nine had. So I think Voyager right. is a good introduction into star Trek, at least getting them familiar with the ships and the species you know, my, my dad raised me on the classic series, but that was back in the 80s. But I tell you what really got me into Star Trek more than Star Wars. It was like all of the books about the blueprints of the ships and the oh, schematics. Okay. I was a sucker for schematics. And there was always more detail in the schematics of the Star Trek universe at the time than the Star Wars universe. And that's where it kind of got me because man, those ships are really cool and all the different species. And mm. I want to know where the toilet is in these things, you know, and that's what these, <laughs> these blueprints of the Star Trek encyclopedia. Have. Right. Yeah. That's what really got yeah. me into being a Star Trek kid more than a Star Wars kid. I mean, uh, they can tell you almost every species of alien in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> they literally know more than me. You know, they know all the backstories of almost every superhero character in the Marvel universe. Okay. Yeah. Encyclopedic knowledge, you know, it's just it's amazing. <laughs> I didn't even teach them that stuff. You know, she actually goes online and um, looks up the histories of the characters and species on her own, just for fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, to be a kid again, because I, my son's the same way with dinosaurs and sharks. Like he even knows like the Latin names for these species. I'm like, how do you know mm -hmm. that? And then I think about it. It's yeah. like, oh, they have nothing in their head other than the things that they want. They don't have to worry about finances. They don't have to worry about taxes or miles to work or commute time. There is just right. so much space and bandwidth in our heads that are full being adults that when you're a kid, you can just jam pack that thing with as much knowledge as you want. Right, right. <laughs> I've actually, uh, to segue, I've actually shown them the original uh, Adam West uh, series a couple of times they've dug it you know they laugh at how silly it is you know but uh they enjoyed it they uh, i even got my daughter to watch uh the linda linda carter wonder woman mm -hmm. tv show yeah that one's still yeah. fun <laughs> yeah yeah so fun yeah so that yeah. that brings us to what we're talking about today i i i brought on a, you as a guest today because if there's one thing i haven't covered yet in the cult worthy classic it is a superhero movie made before 1970. I've been doing film. Mm. I've been doing film noirs and crime films and psychological thrillers. But let's not forget that there were heroes back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. Right. Yeah. I was raised on the Adam West and Burt Ward Batman from the 60s on Nick yeah. at Night. 
So mm-hmm. it was a big transition for me in 1989 when Tim Burton's Batman came out because my Batman was this Batman. Right. Yeah. It was this. A lot of people were. Yeah. yeah. It was this Batman. And also when they guest starred on the Scooby-Doo episodes, <laughs> those were, those were uh, my Batman. Yeah. Did you ever see the, uh, the Green Hornet uh, crossover episode? Yeah. On YouTube. Uh, on YouTube. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, we are talking today about the 1966 cinematic version of Batman. Everyone, flee for your lives! Emergency. Batman speaking. Warning all of you to brace yourselves for big news. The biggest. Tell them, Robin. Holy superlatives, Batman! It's really exciting. Soon, very soon, Batman and I will be batapulting right out of your TV sets and onto your theater screens. That's right, Robin. Our first full-length motion picture feature in color opens a whole new world of thrills. The big screen gives us more space on land, sea, and in the air to challenge the most bataclysmic collection of super criminals ever their minimum objective must be the entire world. Directed by Leslie H. Martinson, written by Lorenzo Semple Jr., and starring pretty much the original cast of the sitcom from the 1960s, Adam West as Batman, Burt Ward as Robin, Lee Merriweather taking over Julie Newmar as Catwoman, Cesar Romero mm-hmm. as the Joker, Burgess Meredith as Penguin, and Frank Gorshin as the Riddler, who, I'm sorry, is still to this day my favorite Riddler. I agree, actually. I love that uh, version as well. But, I, you know, in the comics, the Riddler was more serious. Like, you know, he was more like, like a evil Sherlock Holmes, basically. Yes. You know, yeah. But there not, are... Not the psycho, like the new movie, though. <laughs> yeah, not like the new movie. But if you if you are familiar with the Batman series, there were times where Frank Gorshin actually played Riddler a little bit more seriously. There were times when he right. was there were times when he was in a three piece suit where mm-hmm. where that was kind of like his calling card to be a little bit more serious in that episode. And then there was times when he was in the skin tight jumpsuit where he brought the wackiness out. That's why I yeah. really liked his portrayal of the Riddler. Is depending on the episode and who wrote it. He adjusted I his thought, performance. Yeah, I thought Jim Carrey mostly like channeled that that version more than anything. Yeah, and then know? and then added Jim Carrey to it, which just takes it to right. Like yeah, one hundred and fifty percent. And there was another actor on the show that played Riddler a couple episodes. Oh, that's right, uh, John Aston. Yes. Yeah, Gomez. That's right. That's right. He did play the Riddler a couple episodes. I completely totally different. Totally the way different. he played it too. Yes. yes. Yeah, good call, More man. More serious, yeah. John Aston, mm-hmm. who is also the father of Sean Aston from The Goonies and Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings. He was Samwise Gamgee. So mm-hmm. getting a little bit of that six degrees of separation there. What was your yeah. first exposure to the classic Batman series and eventually this film? Well, you know, it, it used to show on TV at, in the afternoon after all the, the cartoons were done. And you know, in afternoon cartoons, yeah, <laughs> on the weekdays, like around five o'clock, six o'clock, they used to show two episodes back to back every day. And then after that, they showed like uh, the original Star Trek, 
that's that was my afternoons. You know? I, I think for me, when whatever station it was playing on growing up in Reno, Nevada in the 80s, it was Gilligan's Island, then yeah. Batman, and then the Monkeys show. And oh, I, wow. that was like my favorite, just, you know, hour and a half of TV. My mom hated this version of the Batman. I think she just didn't like the silliness and the song. And it's funny because like it came out when she was a teenager in the 60s. So she should have appreciated it, but it was just too much for right. her. But for me as a kid, it just fit right in with that Saturday morning cartoon feeling of the cow, kapow, mm -hmm. swamp, you know, all those different yeah. songs. The one thing that always rubbed me a little bit wrong about Batman with Adam West, it wasn't Adam West's portrayal of Batman. It was the fact that he had eyebrows drawn onto his Batman mask. Yeah, that always bothered me too. That the always bothered me. <laughs> was always weird. It's like I didn't the ears care. Are not big enough for me either. Yeah, they I weren't very big. The pointy ears. Yeah, but I didn't care that it was like a silly little costume. I just didn't like the fact that his eyebrows were drawn on for some reason. I I never understood why they did that though. <laughs> so this film is interesting. It's, it's release cycle. It was released right after the finale of the second season. Second season, yeah. And mm -hmm. there were really no cast changes except for Catwoman, who was originated by Julie Newmar taking over. It, it, is, it felt like a regular episode, just like a bigger episode, basically. And I, I remember, actually, that it was broken down into segments and played as like a miniseries during the syndication process yes when i was yes yeah and then that was my first exposure to this film was i watched it as if it was just syndicated episodes of right. the original batman yeah. but it's so strange this show was so popular for two seasons it made a movie and then just crashed and burned in the third season i've never seen anything like that and it's you sad know? too because like the third season brought my favorite catwoman eartha kitt who ah. deserved a lot more uh, recognition. I, I think she has her, her cult following. As I Cat was Woman. always a Julie Newmar. And I just liked the Eartha kit because I just liked, she's pretty much a cat anyway. She really brought that feline. She, she had the per, she's like perfect. You know, yes. she always like said the words like that, you know, I can't even say it. She has like a way to talk like with the little curl in her voice, you know? Yeah. Her enunciation is very feline yeah. and, and that was just her in real life, too. If you've ever seen her in any other shows or listened to any of her albums, she had right, that right. very distinct manner of speaking and singing. And, yeah, it just really, right. really worked for that character, in, in my opinion. I mean, I like season three mostly because uh, Batgirl. Yeah. yeah. That's when I realized I like women. <laughs> and, <laughs> and here's the other thing, too. With I feel like people started complaining when we had like the superhero renaissance of let's say the eighties and nineties, especially Batman forever, where we started getting just a lot of villains in a particular movie, you know, right. with, yeah. with, with, with the first Batman film, you just had the Joker and his henchmen. They kind of hinted at two face with Billy D Williams as Harvey Dent. And then Batman returns, you get Catwoman and penguin which I feel was a good combination that worked well. The chemistry worked well, but then it seemed like for a lot of the, the installations of not only Batman, but other superhero properties, it seemed like let's put more and more villains in there. And that's how we're going to get people excited. 
And all it right. really did was just kind of muddy the waters of the of Spider-Man the movies, especially did that. Spider-Man three, I think is one of the worst examples of just too many things with too many yeah. villains for sure. But amazing Spider-Man two also. Yeah. Amazing Spider-Man two as, as well. But this one brings almost the entire rogues gallery into play. Right. But yeah. where it works is that they're all working together. And in fact, all their scenes mm-hmm. are pretty much all together. So you're not dealing with different storylines of the different characters of the rogues gallery. They're all right. yeah. in one location, whether it's in their hideout or on the submarine. Well, you know, that's usually how the Flash villains usually operate. All right. his villains are always together. And I, we've never even seen that in live action yet because they, they haven't done that in the, the TV series either. And then like Spider-Man and the Sinister Six, that kind of thing too. Right. You know, and it really works in this because I think the success of this film as a cult-worthy film, because it really was not a box office hit. It barely mm-hmm. made its money back, barely doubled its money back. And in some opinions, the lack of success of this film kind of led to the lack of dedication to budget for the following seasons of the syndicated series which also might right. uh, uh, you know, speak to why it kind of failed in its production value and its storytelling, almost as if the production knew that it was on its way out. And you kind of see it fizzle towards mm-hmm. the end of the third season, which is a shame because let's just get this out of the way. This movie is a lot of fun. It is. It is. Yeah. Tremendous amount of fun. And... I think these days people do not associate Batman with fun, especially with this latest right. installment. <laughs> I, 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 always, I want I want to know. I'm, I really want to get my kids to watch this because I want to see how modern audiences view this. You know, right? I wonder how these modern kids would actually see this. You know, because they all they know is the dark and brooding Batman. You know. Yeah, I mean, after 1989, that's pretty much all you got. Now, George Clooney did bring a little bit of smugness and camp <laughs> to Batman and yeah. Robin. Sadly, the film, it, to me, is is unredeemable. I, I, I'm not a fan of that film at all. But I no. do like what Clooney was doing. He was trying to bring some fun and charm back to Bruce Wayne because... I think, yeah, yeah. I think Schumacher was, was mostly trying to channel the Adam West version with that movie. Yeah. You know. Well, and just like a little bit of side note history before they landed on Tim Burton as the director in that final script for Batman 1989, the original concept that John Peters was trying to bring to the screen was something channeling this. In fact, he had Sam Raimi, the Coen brothers, and a few other kind of auteur zany directors come to meetings to discuss how they would make a fun and campy Batman before Tim Burton took over. And the person in the running for that Batman was Bill Murray. Yes, I heard that. Yeah. (laughs) So it just kind of speaks to people of the 70s and 80s still had this particular perception right. of batman in their head because that's what they were going to put out i I, I i think i heard somewhere that um some fans were clamoring for adam west to come back actually yeah <laughs> yeah 100 percent. i saw that yeah and he, even he was he wanted to come back i i saw an interview with him in the 80s and he's like you know 
I didn't always have to say I'm Batman. All the time. That's what he said. <laughs> so let's yeah. let's let's kind of dive into the fun of this film because as a film, as a story, there's a lot wrong with the storytelling. But yeah. the performances yeah. and the fun and the set pieces and its total commitment to nonsense is what makes this film work for me and why I feel it is a cult worthy classic. It's very zany. It's very campy. It's, it's, you know, it's. Well, it's imaginative, but like I hadn't seen it for a few years. And upon reviewing this, it is very, very interesting how political it actually is. Right. Especially towards the end. Especially with, towards uh, the end. Yeah. Like <laughs> it, it is actually touching on points of Cold War and uh-huh. the the missile crisis. And it also talks to like the the weapons and arms dealing market, how the rogues gallery can just simply purchase a submarine from the U S <laughs> Navy. Like, like yeah. there, there are yeah. all these talking points that if you know your history and know like how the cold war built up and how we had all of these, these weapons missing. And then the whole Iran Contra business, when we were providing weapons to what now would be an enemy power, this movie kind of tackles those subjects, but it puts it in Batman land. Yeah. <laughs> and it has the best scene in uh, that I ever thought I ever seen a movie with Batman. It's the bomb scene <laughs> when he's running around with the bomb. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Now, uh, a lot of people uh, compared that scene in uh, The Dark Knight Rises with the bomb scene also oh, yeah. as a homage to that. You know? Well, his line in that is hilarious. He says something like, there's some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he was like foreseeing the future because the movie did bomb, right? <laughs> yeah, he saw, yeah. yeah the, the movie did bomb. So how, how we start off with the story is the the rogues gallery. So you've got the Joker, the Penguin, mm-hmm. the Riddler, and Catwoman all conspiring to kidnap this guy named Commodore Schmidlap, who is mm, yeah he's skippering this vessel that has a secret technology on board to dehydrate pretty much anything. Yeah. Now this is kind yeah. of this is kind of funny to me because it reminded me of the plot point in the first Batman Begins. They steal a oh, secret yeah. technology that does the opposite. Yeah. You know, it'll yeah. with with the with the water. I was like, "Oh, that's interesting that I didn't uh, think of that." Yeah. They're mm-hmm. they're kind of like channeling <laughs> the technology from Batman 66. <laughs> <laughs> and you got to see the Batcopter, the Batboat. <laughs> the bat cycle. You yeah. get all the fun vehicles. Yeah. And so they, they kidnap this guy and they make him feel like he's still on a ship, but he's actually in like a warehouse hideout where they've got like the henchmen blowing fog across the window and rocking it back and forth. So the guy feels like he's on the ocean and they're bringing him tea the whole time. They are using his, his vessel and his technology to create this, this idea that's going to come a little bit later in the film, their, their villainous plot but Batman mm-hmm. and Robin are out there with their Batcopter trying to find this vessel. And as Batman's going down the Bat ladder from the Batcopter, he's attacked 
by a shark. Hand me down the shark repellent bat spray. Bat repellent. Shark repellent. <laughs> bat shark repellent is how he gets it off of him, and then the shark yeah. explodes. Like, it's this movie. The birth of a thousand memes right there. <laughs> so that's that's your first scene. When we get to the rogues gallery, talking about their plot, I mean, let's talk about these performances. First of all, you know, Cesar Romero, who originated the Joker for the TV show. I've always kind of liked his Joker portrayal because he's sinister and he's zany, but he's not too zany. He has like a level yeah. of control to him where like you don't feel like he's never not in control. But yeah. the funny thing about this particular film is that he is not the lead villain in my opinion. I think it's uh, the penguin, right? Yeah, the penguin is kind of like the mastermind yeah. behind this whole plot. And again, Burgess Meredith, my favorite penguin. How about you? He's pretty good. He's pretty good. I mean, I still like Danny DeVito. <laughs> it, it's a close one. It's a close one, but... There's something about Burgess Meredith and just his rant, 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 rant that just makes me think <laughs> And the way he walks. And right? the way he walks. You know, uh, when I was a kid, uh, I never noticed that Cesar Romero had a mustache with makeup over it. It was only until like, later on in life I saw uh, a picture of the Joker and I'm like, wait a minute, he had a mustache this whole time? How did I not see that? He refused to kid, shave just, it. Yeah, he refused know, to shave it. I know, I know. I never noticed that. I don't know why I never did as a kid. It was something like he said that like his, his power of sexuality belonged in his mustache, so he refused to shave it, and so they would just paint it over it. And there are some scenes where it's blatantly obvious, and there's some scenes where it's a little bit better done, but I don't know. Yeah. To, to, to me, like his performance kind of outweighs the fact. You have to have a keen eye to recognize it. But you've got him as the Joker. You've got Penguin as the, the mastermind behind this whole plot. You've got the Riddler doing Riddler stuff, just sending out his clues mm -hmm. for, and by exploding yeah. a Polaris missile in the air with the first set of clues for Batman and Robin, which are absolutely ridiculous. That missile, look, it's written something. A riddle in the form of a joke. Race back to headquarters, Robin. Joker, Riddler, those three super criminals, their forces combined. For heaven only knows what infamous objective. It may be worse than that, gentlemen. Worse? <laughs> well, saints alive, how can that be? Look at this pair of joking riddles. What does a turkey do when he flies upside down? He gobbles up. Of course. And number two. What weighs six ounces sits in a tree and is very dangerous? A sparrow with a machine gun. Yes, of course. Now, combine both answers. What kind of creature would gobble up a bird in a tree? Have yeah, they should probably, when they team up next time, don't include the, the Riddler because he's just going to bring the Batman closer to them with the clothes. You know, that's the wrong guy to have on your team. And he always has like that power struggle too, where he thinks that everyone else is an idiot, but at the same time, he's the one that's really just getting Batman and Robin closer to the, to the hideouts exactly. and to the plot. <laughs> and then you've got Lee, yeah. you've got Lee Merriweather as Catwoman, who in a, in a sense plays a dual role here because right. this is something that we see probably for the first time in a cinematic version of Batman. Batman has a love interest. Right. Who, who yeah. he pursues yeah. as Bruce Wayne. 
and actually falls for like and that's the part that that is interesting to me is that generally in batman movies when bruce wayne has a love interest he usually deducts pretty quickly or at least Mm -hmm. isn't super surprised when it turns out to be a double cross like in dark knight rises or in batman returns but in this one batman kind of goes the full extent with yeah with lee merriweather's uh kitka the russian reporter (laughs) from the moscow bugle (laughs) who uses her wily charms to seduce him and lure him away and it's it's a really interesting dynamic in my opinion it's a little too overplayed in the film because their romance does take up pretty much the entirety of the second act but right it, it is an interesting attempt to humanize Batman and show them, show you that Bruce Wayne actually is a man and has feelings. Right. Uh, they don't do much with Robin though. Well, here's the thing about this movie. This is Robin's movie, man. He figures all the shit out in this movie while Batman, right. while Batman is out hanging out with Kitka and doing Batman things and throwing bombs away it's Robin who's figuring out these Riddler clues. It's Robin who's figuring out this whole technology that's been taken from Schmidlap and what it does. And he's putting the machines together. Robin's like the mastermind of the Batcave in this one. Yeah, but he got no uh, action. He never gets a love interest, this guy. <laughs> Um, apparently he got an all offset if you've read his biography. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> both of them, both of them, both of them. But so yeah, sometimes together in groups. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the stories yeah. there must be that we haven't heard. Well, you know, they didn't call it swinging sixties for nothing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right now, yeah. cinematically th- this film, they did it in the TV show too. But one of the things I always liked about this film is that whenever you're, either in Batman's camp or in the real world or in Commissioner Gordon's office, it's always just a very level master shot or two shot of the action of the characters. But anytime Mm -hmm. you are with a rogues gallery or a villain, the camera is skewed about 40 degrees. So the whole thing is slightly. Yeah. Yeah. And they did it in the, in the series too. I thought that was, and they pulled back a little bit too. It's, it's some, it's cinematically brilliant in my opinion, that they do this. And uh, I I really think that it was ahead of its time, but I can only imagine like being a regular TV viewer in the 60s, watching your TV and then thinking like your tube has gone crooked. (laughs) Like going up to your TV and banging it a few times. Why is the picture crooked? It's like, oh no, this is a cinematic choice. (laughs) Yeah, and I think this was one of the first real big color shows ever on TV. You know, the, the colors just jumped at you. Yeah. For the first time. And with the pows and stuff. With the pows and stuff. Yeah. With the with the action scenes too. There are mm-hmm. quite a few action scenes spread about, but I think they really dove deep into the whole vehicular combat of this of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. They got mm-hmm. the helicopter, they got the boat. They're on the boat a lot. Like they are always yes. on the boat, zooming around, trying to find the submarine. The the Riddler's shooting missiles at them and they are saved by a very brave porpoise who gave its life <laughs> so they could escape. They make a very yeah. clear point of that. And then you've got yeah. the bat cycle. Like they they really used whatever resources they had for their vehicular scenes. And the Batmobile too. Classic Batmobile. What's your favorite yes. Batmobile? I actually like the Tim Burton 
Batmobile. I mean, it's it was slow as hell, but you know, <laughs> it looked cool. <laughs> I, I really think that the Tim Burton's my favorite one too because I had the toy, and yes, and yes. it like the that's more just nostalgia, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and you could push the button and the little panels would sh- would pop off and the missile launchers would come up in in the one that I had, but then I also do like the one from the Nolan movies. Was that called the uh, Rum- Rumbler Rambler or something like that? The Tumbler. Tumbler. I do yeah. like the design of that one too. It's it's pretty. I cool. kind of like the, the the new the Batman, um, but I, you know you can barely see it in the movie. Oh yeah, it's so dark. But yeah, it's kind of got that yeah. cool muscle car nostalgia to it. But yeah, yeah, I, I have to go with you, Tim Burton, all the way. You know, it's got the the jet engine and the turbine in the front. It's just really cool. <laughs> right, but you know the Adam West version actually looks like you can outrace a, a police car at least. You know, except I don't think the Burton one could tactically maybe not the best one because it's technically a convertible it's got it's, right. it's all open you know a good sniper could get a headshot from right from not too yeah, far away with true. that one. but well, yeah. we got to talk about um the fight in the bat cave that was fun uh, i mean okay the whole the whole bat cave thing i mean so i i love i love the bat cave in the 61 i love that they have the fire pole that when they uh-huh. slide down and they pop off in costumes, I mean, that's just fun. You know, that's like yeah. the equivalent of Superman jumping in the phone booth and spinning around and coming out. It's <laughs> like, I love that. I love that suspension of disbelief. Yes. But you are hundred percent correct. So they have mastered, well, no, they haven't mastered the Joker and the rogues gallery have come up with this way to dehydrate people. Yeah. The, the penguin using subterfuge, which that whole scene's ridiculous. Cause they know it's the penguin. <laughs> <laughs> they still bring him to the Batcave. Uh, right. Has all these dehydrated soldiers that yeah. he hydrates. They come back to their normal forms and fight Batman and Robin in the Batcave. However, every time they get hit, they one hit, <laughs> one hit, they explode into antimatter. So now we're like right. on a now we're like on a, a, a quantum physics level with this right. Batman movie, and the basically reason, Batman's going on a murder spree right there. He's killing guys left and right, isn't he? Yeah, and 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 Robin's like, so are they ever coming back? And Batman says, not in this universe. Ooh, we got multiverse stuff going on now, oh, even wow. though it's even though it's yeah. DC. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was fun. That was a fun scene. It's yeah. it's a fun scene, and like I said, this is just a fun fun movie and then at the end when they rehydrate the 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 you know ambassadors whatever you know they all have different languages and stuff like that yeah so so pretty much what it is is the rogues gallery have gone to the united nations but i think they call it the united world headquarters in this one uh and dehydrate all of the officials from these different countries and then after batman and robin have kind of saved the day and robin puts them back to their normal status they're all speaking different languages and that's batman's message to the audience that <laughs> to be a better world you know that yeah is that teaching tolerance and stuff like that yeah a little right. a little bit of a forced um lesson and moral at the end of the film but i dig mm-hmm. it man i dig it <laughs> yeah it's fun it's fun definitely fun uh, i don't think we'll ever get anything that fun again <laughs> In the Batman world? No, I mean... No, no. In anything, really. I think everybody's scared to do anything really fun these days, you know, in terms of comic books, movies. 
Yeah. I think that's why animation is so important still, because that's where I feel people are having fun with these characters and these intellectual properties Mm -hmm. are in these animated series because yeah, the, the big studios are too afraid to commit a budget and a theatrical release and marketing for something that's going to be a little bit campy, you know? So they, they stick with this, in my opinion, tired, old doom and gloom, depressing superhero movie, you know? I mean, the closest I've seen is maybe the Shazam movie. It's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. It's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. I actually liked what Wonder Woman 1984 was trying to do. I I don't think it succeeded in its accomplishment of it, but I get where it was going, and it was taking a shot at being a little bit different, a little bit campy, and it just couldn't decide which direction it wanted to commit to. I think that's what its big problem was. But again, it was like them testing the waters of like, can we make these heroes fun again? The, the, the DC universe just isn't fun anymore. It's all gloom. All gloom. Yeah. And gloom. Yeah. And, you know, not kid-friendly at all. No, no, no. And, no. and this one is completely kid-friendly. There is nothing wrong right. with this one. Catwoman's suit looks like it's painted on, but that's, you know, that's, that's not, that's fine by me. <laughs> <laughs> Hey there, Cultworthy Podcast listeners. I have an amazing new app for you. It is called Newsly. Newsly is an all-in-one super app for iOS and Android. It picks up web articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them aloud to you in a natural human voice, unlike mine. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable all in one place. You can browse articles and topics from which you choose and start playing. Stop scrolling and start listening. You can follow any topic as specific as you'd like from sports, tech, business, science, Bitcoin, even the Kardashians. It will find you the latest articles and read them to you aloud. And they have podcasts as well. Explore trending podcasts from over 80 countries, including mine, the Cult Worthy Podcast. They even have digital radio. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me or from the link available in my episode notes. That's C-U-L-T-C-A-S-T to receive one month free premium subscription. Once again, check out Newsly and thank you for listening to the Cult Worthy Podcast. So when you decide to show this to your kids, is this going to be an episode, do you think, for your show? Or do you just want to have them watch it for curiosity's sake? Well, everything's for the show. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to show you anything unless we talk about it on the show. (laughs) Yes, that's how it is right now. Uh, Yeah, that's how it is. You know, that's how I could get them to watch some old movies, actually, because I said to them, you know, uh, we need to do this for the show. And they're very committed to the show. So they're like, okay, we're going to watch this old movie with you. That's how I got them to watch... uh, Batman Forever. They did not want to see that at all. Why? They just didn't yeah. like the the cheesiness of it, or uh, you know, uh, kids are very. Uh, my kids are very hard to please. Um, anything past two thousand, they don't want to watch. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I can get that. I think my son is so brought up on the old school stuff, and I think that's why some of the newer things don't really gel with him that well he likes that older stuff but i definitely have talked to people it's the same people who don't want to play a game or a video game 
that was made before 2015. Like, oh, that's old. Right. Look at those graphics. It's like, yeah. yeah. But it's Final Fantasy VII. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got, well, you know, that's, that's, they, they're changing. They're learning a little bit. You know, I got them into the Indiana Jones movies. Uh, you know, so I, I got to get them in some more. I got them in, I watched, I let them watch the Goonies recently. I don't know what else I can get them into. Right now, they have not seen the original Star Wars films, actually. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, they know everything that happened because there's like books and everything, everything all over the place. You can read up on it. They actually wanted to see the the Star Wars um, franchise in the order that you know that it's supposed to come out in, like episode one, episode right. two, you know, so forth, like that. Yeah. So uh, that's probably the only way I'll get them to watch it. Something from the seventies, I guess. And it, it'll probably yeah. bring up some interesting conversations. They'll talk about costumes and hair and things like that because. Right. There that there definitely is a, a generation shift there for sure. But one of yeah. the things I liked about what Disney has been doing lately with its expanded universe on, on these shows that these do that they're doing, these series, is I feel like yeah. they're doing a pretty good job at not going too out of touch with the technology that was represented in the original trilogy. Like they're trying to keep it based in a certain time frame and era when it comes to the ships and the technology. And that was, yes. that was one yeah. of the things I didn't like about the prequels at first is I thought that everything was too shiny. Everything was too glossy. Everything looked too futuristic. But then when mm -hmm. you think about it, well, then the empire takes over and the galaxy kind of has like a financial collapse. And so it only right. makes right. sense that things look a little bit more used and beaten up and decrepit. But I think I was a little yeah. too young to understand what that would mean when a society like that kind of falls apart. And, yeah. and again, that kind of goes back to this. Like, this is 1966. You know, there there were concerns in the world at the time. World War III was on the horizon from the 60s until the end of the 80s, at least with the Russians, you know, and, and who knows now where we're at with everything. Just everything feels like World War III these days. But there was something that in the 60s with the music and the TV and the colors and the happiness, I mean, I don't know if it was all just kind of created to pull the wool over the public's eyes of what was really going on behind the scenes. So you're getting fun shows like this and like Star Trek and the Monkees and the Beatles. But there's something to be said about looking at this historically. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's campy, yeah. it's fun, it's silly. But this was entertainment back then. People might find right. it annoying or just too out of touch with reality these days to enjoy it as a Batman film. Then don't watch it as a right. Batman film. Watch it as a piece of history. Watch it as a commercial for what the 60s were, you know, and just yeah. have fun yeah. with it. No, and Adam West, I mean, he got to play the mayor of Quahog on Family Guy for like... <laughs> 18 yeah. or something seasons like what a and he played himself he was mayor adam west right right you know so yeah. he, did he also voice batman on the scooby-doo also yeah he, he both he and burt ward did voice the batman characters on the scooby-doo and that's why they were so recognizable for me because adam west has a very distinct voice yes he does a very distinct yeah. way of speaking 
while he is not my favorite Batman, he is the Batman of my childhood. And that's why I love this movie. And I I go back and I do rewatch episodes of the 1960s series. It's just, it's just (laughs) fun, especially all the cameos, you know, and that was one of the things that kind of spoke to how popular this was in the first two seasons. That's some great actors guest star on that show. Everybody yeah. wanted to be on the show because it looked like fun. And right. they yeah. had they had that revolving joke where Batman and Robin were like scaling the buildings and they're like yes. with a rope. Yes. And then yeah. some random, whether it's Sid Caesar or Phil Silver or some com- comic guy of the day would pop out right. the window and have a one-liner. Like that was just fun, man. It'd be like mm-hmm. showing up yeah. on Saturday Night Live now. You know, it's just a fun. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was watching a documentary about the behind the scenes antics. Uh, and, you know, the, the number one problem that they had with Adam West and Burt Ward was they, they were showing too much bulge in their underpants. <laughs> <laughs> and they kept on getting notes from the suits saying, you know, uh, you have to do something about the bulge. Tape it down. And they kept on saying, like, what what can I do about the bulge? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think they had to tape them down and essentially they wanted something. them to look like yeah. a Ken doll, you know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. boy. So what is your favorite part of this movie? Well, you know, I, I love the bomb scene. The bomb scene. I love the the yeah. And I love the the bat cave fight out with the, you know. And I would have to say, yes, definitely the bomb scene, but then the whole scene where they're putting together the Riddler's first riddle in the Commissioner Gordon's office, where they're like, wait, where did this happen? It happened at C. C stands for cat. Catwoman, where they're just putting together <laughs> this ridiculous this random, stuff, random right? stuff for clues. be any one of them, but which one? Wh- which ones? Pretty fishy what happened to me on that ladder. You mean where there's a fish, there could be a penguin. But wait, it happened at sea. See? See for Catwoman. Yet, that exploding shark was pulling my leg. The Joker. It all adds up to a sinister riddle. Riddler. Riddler? Oh, thought strikes me. So dreadful, I scarcely dare give it utterance. The four of them. And all of them are like, yes, very good, Robin. Yes, brilliant, Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the kind of fun that I wish we could bring back to some of these superhero movies. And you know what? Deadpool kind of did it. You know, it took it to an R-rated version, but Deadpool wasn't afraid to have fun, be campy. Mm -hmm. It didn't, it wasn't afraid to be stupid because it went hard in the paint of being stupid. And that's where the last came in. And that's where, where this movie really works, in my opinion. I mean, I would love to see a, a Superman movie that's a little bit fun, you know? Yeah, I mean, bring back the silliness of Superman 2 all day and Superman 3. I loved it. I, I'd, I'd kill for some of that right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I think that's the tone that Wonder Woman 1984 was trying to go for, yeah. like the Chris Reeve 80s version. That's a movie I haven't gotten my kids to watch, actually. Uh, they've actually seen bits and pieces of Superman 2, but never the first one. I mean, it's a good movie. It's long, but it's a good one. I enjoyed it when I was a kid, for sure. So Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it a million times as a kid, but uh, it's kind of 
it has a different pace than modern films. You know, it's kind of slower. Yeah. I don't know if they'd handle it. Yeah. I actually know people that actually love Batman and Robin and Batman Forever. Oh, me too, too man. And oof, I don't know. Like, I, I like to blame it on nostalgia. But even yeah. then, it's like I was 15 when Batman and Robin came out and I was just like, this just isn't any good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, man, this was a great conversation. Thanks for joining me on this. And, you know, I tell people all the time, like Batman 1966 is a fun movie. It's worth a watch. In my opinion, it's worth a buy. You know, I've I've had the same DVD for like the last 15 years now. And occasionally I just pop it on. Like it's been five years since I watched it last, but I popped it on and it's still a good time. It's a fun movie. And it just kind of reminds us of simpler days and simpler times when we didn't have to have Nirvana blasting through a Batman movie to feel (laughs) relevant. It didn't have to be doom and gloom and darkness and rain. It could be fun. Yeah. So let's get back to the fun. You don't have to squint your eyes every time to see (laughs) what's going on. You know? A (laughs) hundred percent. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I mean, people can find your podcast pretty much anywhere, but what else do you got to plug for this episode? That's basically it. You know, just the two shows, you know, we're on pretty much every uh, podcasting service out there. You know, we have a little YouTube channel. Haven't really updated it in a while. I will soon, but uh, we do some original stuff on YouTube. Check us out at the Geeky Dad Podcast on YouTube. And the kids also have their own YouTube channel. Check out the Multiverse Kids on YouTube as well. Awesome. And, you know, part of that uh, Geek Creators page on Facebook where you're bringing a lot of great indie podcasters who work in the same kind of field. It's been really great. I've made a lot of connections with people through there. So thanks for including me in that group as well. Yeah. Yeah. When I saw you on Facebook, I was like, okay, I got to grab, I'm going to grab you. (laughs) Yeah. I appreciate it. It's been great. Everyone. This was Raphael of the geeky dad podcast. And my name is Antonio. This is a cult worthy classic. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. And please follow my website, thecultworthy.com, for blog updates, new reviews, and my cult-worthy podcasting partners, including the Geeky Dad podcast, on that page as well. Raphael, I hope you have a good night. Yes, I will. It's very late for me now. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll see you next week, everybody. Thank you. All right.